Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and open up your word. Your word first to the patriarchs and to uh, the lineage of, of your children and then to us. We thank you for being grafted into the dysfunctional family of God. Uh, we thank you, Father, for your mercies. We ask, Father, that you give us insight, you give us wisdom, uh, and, Father, that you would uh, not let us hear and, uh, and walk away without being changed. Uh, instead, Father, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would speak these words into our hearts and uh, help us to know what to do with them. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, guys, we're going to be in Genesis. We are covering... A lot of ground this morning, uh, or at least that's the plan. So if you guys will go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 30 this morning, and uh, that's where we're going to get started. And we're going to backtrack just a little bit from where we were last time. Um, See if I can get this up and running this morning. So last week, um, I think Chris uh, took us down the road of uh, of, of getting Jacob into uh, out of his home territory and into uh, Paddan Aram, where he meets his uncle and all those kinds of things, and that kind of stuff happens. Oh no! Fixing to say my. My iPad does not want to work this morning. Wow, tech problems just all around. Okay, tell you what, I'll just use this. Um, so uh, real quick, just as a reminder of where we have been um, in talking about the very messy family of God, um, so guys, uh, if y'all will remember, we have been dealing with um, the lineage of God uh, through one particular family, specifically through Abraham's family uh, that he has chosen for himself, and, and just how he is going to work through that. Okay. Um, and so um, we first started with the Abraham story uh, and, and moving into the promised land and all that occurred between Abraham and Sarah. Uh, we then go on to the son Isaac, uh, and then we are now down through Isaac's kids, right? And so at this point, uh, Isaac's kids are Jacob and Esau. And there's a whole lot of stuff that has happened. We've already talked through um, Jacob and kind of uh, his, his character, which I think is an important thing for us to think about today, is the kind of person that he was. Um, it literally means deceiver. We're going to see the term deceiver used a lot in the text today. Um, and, and we kind of have this uh, original story where uh, the, the eldest, Esau, uh, basically sells his birthright uh, for stew, lentil stew, which seems to be a very odd thing. But that's important because we're going to see somebody else bargain something else uh, away again today. Uh, we are going to see this uh, interesting uh, thing where uh, Esau comes in uh, and uh, his, his father is ready to give him his blessing and, and he's supposed to go out and do some hunting and bring him in wild game and Isaac comes in, not Isaac, but Jacob comes in and dresses himself literally in the clothing of Isaac and the skins of Isaac, or excuse me, of Esau so that 
um, he can basically steal the blessing uh, through the use of deception, specifically through the eyes. Um, as a result of that, things don't go well in the family, right? At this point, things really do fall apart, um, and it's going to become one of those things where we're going to have a, a situation where, I didn't really talk about this before, but when Jacob left, Jacob probably left under duress. I mean, when mom said, you probably need to get out of here and go find a, go find a wife, uh, it wasn't just, uh, hey, go find a wife. It was also, yeah, your brother wants to kill you, okay? And he probably will. So it's best that you just, just get on out the door. And there's another thing we didn't really talk about. I didn't really emphasize this, the fact that he left with nothing. Okay. Uh, he, when he left with nothing, it was just him. So when he shows up, he doesn't show up with an entourage in Padanaram. He just shows up alone, which is a really interesting thing we'll talk about today. But if you'll remember, starting out at Beersheba, where Isaac and the camp was, we're going to have this really long journey that he's going to take to the north. And right before he gets to the promise or to the uh, to the area where his uncle lives, Laban, we have this really mysterious. Um, episode where uh, where Jacob's going to have this dream, and in this dream he is going to see the angels of God ascending and descending. It's called Jacob's Ladder. Uh, we talked about the fact that most likely what he was envisioning was a ziggurat, a holy mountain, a place of worship, the same sort of thing that the ancients used in order to kind of uh, facilitate their own worship, was mimicking the idea of, uh, of Eden being a, a, a cosmic uh, garden where uh, heaven and, and, uh, and earth mixed together, that that's what he was seeing there. And then, of course, we talked about the fact that Jesus later on references this, and he says, oh, by the way, that's me. I am uh, that ladder uh, where you'll see the angels ascending and descending. Okay, quick review on the family, okay? Going to have lots of names today, but just a reminder of what's going on here. So we started with Terah, the grandfather. We get down to Abraham here. Abraham has the three wives. We come through the lineage of Sarah to get Isaac. Isaac goes over and marries Rebekah and then has the two children. We've got the children by Esau. If you'll remember, that created all sorts of drama in the family because he was marrying Hittite women and driving mama crazy. Uh, and then over on this side, we have Jacob, who is not married at this point, um, but is going to be sent away. And we've got four wives here. So we end up with a situation where Jacob goes in, and, uh, and last week, and these are our main characters we're going to talk about, you've got Isaac the father, Rebekah who loved Jacob, Esau, Jacob the deceiver, heel grabbers we discussed, Rachel the favorite, Leah the pawn, and Laban the uncle. And Laban's going uh, Laban's to take on a really interesting role this week. We're going to kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, so, also, another reminder, there's one other thing I wanted to make sure we talked about. Yeah, we're going to talk about it. Um, so if you'll remember from last week, and I know Chris talked about this, Jacob went on his journey, came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, these flocks, three, shop, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered, the stone on the well's mouth was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well, water the sheep, put the stone back over the well. While he was still speaking with shepherds, Rachel came with her father's sheep. She was a shepherdess. And as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. 
And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. Okay, so real quick, once again, we have a well motif, right? So for you guys that were here last time, what, what is significant about this? Do we see this idea of somebody going to a well? Have we seen this somewhere before? Do we see it in other places in Scripture? Right? So, um, so this is an interesting thought. It's really got me thinking about family stories. Okay? Um, so what do you think was going through um, Jacob's mind when he rolls up on this well in his uncle's territory? Do you think this is a surprising thing? Do you think this is something he's been thinking about? What do you think? Not a rhetorical question. I mean, I, I wonder if he was like, I mean, because I was, where I'm like, Mom and Dad, how did you meet? Or my kids will ask, how did you meet Dad? And maybe he knew, like, oh, my parents met at a well, and it was, and so maybe he saw like. Don't you guys know that... You know, Rebecca and Isaac have been telling that story from the time Esau and, and Jacob were itty-bitty, okay? Um, do you guys have stories like that? The story of either how you met your spouse or at least the story of how your parents met? Does anybody know the story of how your parents met? I mean, we'll come back to that. But uh, I can't help but think that that's what's rolling through Jacob's mind as he comes. And, and when, you, when you consider how excited he is, I think there's a lot of things going on. Number one, he's excited because he's like, ah, oh, this, is, this is what happened to, you know, this is what happened to, to dad, you know, this is what happened to mom and dad. Um, the other side of that is I'm in the right place, right? And the other side of this is he's by himself. He's by himself. There's going to be a very interesting passage that we're going to reference. We're going to come back to it later. But basically when Laban comes up and welcomes him, right? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They have this, hey, we're together. This is awesome. They're going to have this, this, this uh, exchange, and it's almost a throwaway line. Uh, I read, I finally, I ran across a commentary that, that made this point. It says that Jacob then went to Laban and told him everything that had happened. I want to ask you guys, what do you think that means? Told him everything that had happened. Do you think he had to explain why he was there by himself? I mean, where, where's, I mean, yeah, you're just, you're by yourself. Where, where are your servants? Where, well, I, I couldn't really bring servants. Well, why not? Well. Yeah, but don't you think he embellished a little bit, right? Like, Did he? Perspective. Well, we don't know. But if he told him everything. Yeah. And he's a trickster. Yeah, that's and what I was And he probably understands, yeah. hey, I'm meeting this person for the first time in my life. Here's the story. We're moving my faults in it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that. Possibly. Mama made me do it. But he just gave me his birthright. I Do you think, okay, Laban being the wily guy he is, don't you think he had, hey, what are you doing here by yourself? Things must have gone sideways for you somewhere, somehow. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here, right? So, um,. That's an interesting, like I say, it's kind of an interesting, I wouldn't say it's a throwaway phrase, but it's something that we're going to come back to. Once again, you see this fractal kind of uh, truth, though, in the idea of coming to the well, finding a bride, the bride runs to the father, 
to tell the good news, and then we follow it with a feast. We saw this first with Eleazar coming on behalf of um, on behalf of Isaac. Remember before, and we said that you know the early church saw this as a as a a vision of the Trinity. Uh, that Eleazar went like the Spirit of God before to seek out a bride for the son. And, and, and it's not much of a stretch because remember, Isaac was being sacrificed in the, the, the previous passage, right? So you've got the father with Abraham, the son with Isaac, Eleazar, going out on behalf. Um, and um, by the way, did not know this, but uh, I found this out this week. In Jewish tradition, Eleazar... Uh, there are three people that supposedly have not died. Uh, one, you guys know who they would be that went and, and walked with God? Who would be the first? Enoch, Elijah, Eleazar. I did not know that. I'm going to have to do more research because when somebody told me that, I was like, no way. It's a Jewish tradition, but it's kind of one of those, those Jewish traditions. But anyway, so remember, it's the same kind of motif again, okay, but a little different this time. Okay, it's a little bit different this time. All right, so let's do this. Let's go, um, just a, a quick reminder of what's happened. Uh, remember, um, Jacob has been deceived uh, in that deception. He wants, to marry, uh, he wants to marry Rachel. He ends up marrying Leah. Uh, so that's, that, that was not what he was planning on. That was, wasn't what was supposed to happen. But here's the fascinating thing about this. Jacob is getting kind of his comeuppance in this, right? He used deception and thwarted, you know, the, 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 the ideas of, of his older brother and his father uh, through sight. He is now going to be deceived. Notice he stole the birthright of the, or through deception took the, the, the birthright and or the, uh, uh, the, the blessing of the eldest son. And in this one, he was kind of trying to steal the blessing of the firstborn. Because Laban rightly says, hey, we marry the firstborn first. You know, that's how this is supposed to be done. Now, granted, Laban, it's kind of what, you could have told me that to begin with, right? You know, that could have happened. Um, and so we have that. Um, the marriage is providential, but not Jacob's preference, right? Now, how, and this goes back to, I, this is just such a human story. How on earth, and I'm, I'm sure uh, Chris probably talked about this last week, but how on earth did, how on earth did, um, did Leah feel in all of this, knowing that, hey, this happened, and immediately, this isn't who I wanted to marry. I wanted to marry her. Okay, well, you can marry her next week. You know, I mean, that just the, what is that immediately going to do in terms of her psyche? Um, and then we've got things with names. Leah's name means wild cow. The idea is that, uh, um, that she had these bigger eyes. It doesn't necessarily mean not pretty. Um, but that Rachel was definitely supposed to be the more attractive of the two, at least to uh, Jacob. By the way, in Leviticus 12, Leviticus is the kind of the sexual purity chapter that we get to later on. You're forbidden from marrying sisters. Bad idea, okay? Just all the way around. Uh, so, uh, so once again, we have to remember so much of Scripture is not uh, prescriptive. It's descriptive. I have to tell my kids that all the time, okay? What, what, what do I mean by that? It's, it's not all prescriptive. Oftentimes it's descriptive. So what's the difference? Not one is what happens. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, there's not everything in the Bible is supposed to be followed. There's a lot of bad things in the Bible that happen, and God 
God is kind of warning us about our own nature, not telling us we should emulate it. Right. And sometimes without commentary, right? But it just happens. But you see the consequences, you know, you see the carnage that ensues, but, but we don't see him necessarily being outright, you know, God wagging his finger at him, shame, shame. God just kind of deals with it, right? He just kind of works through it. Um, but later on, when he's building a nation for himself and handing down laws, he's like, okay, by the way, things you're not supposed to do. This would be one of them, right? Uh, along with a lot of other things that we're told not to do. Exactly, yeah. Prescription is, this is what you ought to do. Description is, you know, this is what happened, you know. So, so that's a thing, that's a really important thing to remember with Scripture, when, especially these hard passages. We read some, by the way, which is such a, um, which is such oftentimes when people want to debate, you know, whether we should be paying attention to the Bible and things like that. Oftentimes people are like, oh my goodness, haven't you read all these horrible things that are in Scripture? It's like, yes, and they're not prescribed. They're just described, and it's like, which means it's probably pretty accurate because it makes people look really bad, right? Um, so, something to, something to think about, something to consider. So, by the way, this term uh, that Leah was hated, that's actually probably too strong a term in the, in the translation. Most likely it means less favored of the two. It doesn't necessarily mean he, he hated her. Um, but that's kind of one of those things that gets lost in our translation. But then we get this, this baby-having war they get into, Right? Um, and, and it's all about affection, right? Um, so we get down to the end of that first or that, that chapter. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Another motif, right? We have another motif of the barren woman. And in this one, notice it says, um, the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Anytime you see that, that, that mercy from God, it's always he saw or God hears. And so this is Leah in a bad situation, and God had mercy. By the way, the idea here is that why does she have children? Because God allowed it. That's this idea that God is in control of these things, right? So he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son, called him Reuben. And all these, we'll get into the names later, especially when Jacob eventually gives his blessing on all these folks because the names are fascinating, but we're not going to go there today. Um, she conceived again and bore a son, and because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She called him Simeon. And again, she conceived and bore a son, and said, and this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. And therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Um, in the end, what do we see again? We see another sibling rivalry. First it was brothers, now it's sisters. doesn't work out any better, right? Um, playing favorites always ends badly. Um, okay, so finally to chapter 30. So let's do this together. I want us to read together. So if everybody would go to chapter 30, um, let's do this. Uh, I need somebody to read uh, 1 through 10. Could somebody read 1 through 10 for me? Anybody, anybody? All right, got it. Uh, 11 through 20. Okay, uh, 21 through 30. Okay, and 31 through, we'll say 43. Finish this out. All right. Okay, so we're going to read through that, and then we're also going to read 31 as well. Um, and I want you guys to read these together. Once again, 
it's much better to read the whole story because it just makes more sense if you read the whole story. That's why we're going to go into 31. So 31, 1 through 10. Who wants that one? 31, 1 through 10. Okay. And 11 through 20. 11 through 20. Got it. And 21 through 30. Gotcha. And then 31 through 40. Anybody else? Tell you what, I'll finish this out. All right? Okay, so we're going to read this together. Look for the observations. Look for the story arc. Look for those cues that we've been, you know, talking about since Genesis chapter 1. And let's see what we've got. And think about the story in its entirety. These things happen, boom, 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 for a reason. Okay? So keep that in mind. And also keep... Keep the entire story arc going here because this really starts obviously with Jacob uh, and his deception. But then before he arrives with Laban, we have this angelic episode, okay, where he makes kind of this promise to, to Yahweh because he, he acted like he really didn't know this Yahweh yet. And then we're going to have this entire Laban episode and... We'll talk about how it ends, okay? So, all right, let's go. Chapter 30. When Rachel died, she born Jacob no children. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I the place of God who has withheld from me the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth to my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave her, him her servant. Send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. 
Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, Name your wages, and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, You know how I, how I have worked for you and how your livestock was spared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when I may do something, but now, when may I do something for my own household? <clears throat> he said, "What shall I give you?" Jacob said, "You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through uh, all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb." and a spotted and speckled among the goats, <clears throat> and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. Uh, when you come to look into my uh, wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black uh, among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. <clears throat> but that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one uh, that had white on it, uh, and every lamb that was black, and put them uh, in the charge of his sons. And he set uh, a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of <coughs> uh, poplar and almond and plain uh, trees and filled white streaks in them, exposing uh, the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had tilled in front of the flocks uh, in the troughs, that is, the watering gates, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred, <coughs> when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the sticks brought uh, forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and the uh, black in the flock of, the, of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not uh, put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flocks were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks uh, in the troughs before the eyes of the flocks, that they uh, might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the uh, flocks, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers, and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flocks taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the 
Do I start here? I've lost track. I don't, I, okay, all right. 31. Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought you'd make your daughters or take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out that I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent but couldn't find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What's my offense? What's my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I've been with you, your ewes, your female goats have not miscarried and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day, the heat consumed me, and cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I've been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. 
If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent, them, sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Yagar Sarutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take my wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap in the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. And early in the morning Laban rose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. So that's the story. Yes, yes. Um, so, let's start with just, what do you notice? What are some things that jump out at you? The fear of Isaac. Okay, good. We'll come back to that. What on earth does that mean, right? What else? Yes. Mandrakes. Mandrakes. What? Um, Divination. What is that? It is uh, using uh, magic and or other other means to know the future or truths or that kind of thing. So when you hear divination, that means you're you're seeking truth through spiritual counsel, not of God. Okay. Did everybody notice that? By the way, what did what did she steal? She stole the gods. We'll talk about that. That's kind of interesting. So nobody wants to talk about speckled uh, sheep breeding? No. <laughs> well, of course that's what you do. You, you shave off and have them look at... Yeah, yeah. Right? Don't think anybody's got a good answer for it. Does that actually work? No. No. It, it's a superstition. It's a, it's a shepherd superstition. But Jacob was still trained in manipulation. Yes. Later, he was always there, and he still had no faith that God said, God is calling. He was still trying to do what he was still trying to manipulate it. They're still trying to seek mandrakes or peony leaves or fake idols. How about, is it just Jacob? No. They're all doing it, right? They're all a mess. They're all a hot mess, right? This. Can I, just, can I just say it just occurred to me as we're reading this morning, this really does sound like a bunch of hillbillies. Like, I mean, it was like my, my wife occasionally, I'm sure breaking HIPAA rules, will kind of, you know, families just open up when you're treating their kids, especially when she was doing home health, and she would just be like, oh, my goodness. I mean, because family business was just happening while she was there, and she was just like, wow. I mean, just think, and it's like, yes, this. <laughs> it's, it's this. It's this kind of weird dysfunction. Um, 
So, so let's go through here. Let's talk about some of this stuff. So first off, Jacob's response to Rachel's anger is very different than what we got with Isaac. Isaac prayed for Rebecca. Notice Jacob's response to Rebecca. It's, it's, it's a revelation of character, but it's also a revelation of God's willingness to put up with certain things. Okay? This, this is God doing what God's going to do, and he's going to use Jacob to do it. Okay? Despite Jacob's flaws, right? So, so, yeah, that's an interesting contrast. Notice wrestling. I've wrestled with my sister. Okay? Uh, man, um, so, you, so you, you ladies in the room that have sisters, is, that a, is sibling rivalry a thing with sisters? Is it? I mean, you may have a great relationship with your sister. Would it be great if you were married to the same dude? <laughs> right, to know that that's a bad idea, right? I, you know, I asked, I was, right, I, I'm, I, I was asking Bo, I was like, I just, I don't understand this. Like, from a, from a, granted, I'm not a woman, but from a, a, a woman's perspective, I, I get the desire to have a child, and that's obviously the, the greatest desire, but to willingly give, you know, other women to my husband in order to have children. Because it's still not your kid, right? I mean, I just, I don't get it. I, I get it from the male perspective, the male sex drive, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I'm sure Jacob's like, woohoo, you know, that I, I don't know. Um, but from the perspective of a female, the willingness to do that. Um, now, and, and I... And this is another interesting thing. I listened to a really interesting podcast this week with a, uh, a professor of Old Testament. And he's talking about, his, his talk was mainly about violence, specifically in Joshua and uh, in Judges. Um, but kind of some of the latest archaeological um, kind of digging around from that late Bronze Age, Bronze Age era is that at any particular point in time, you might have had maybe somewhere between 75 to 100,000 people total in that area total. That's not a lot of people in the grand scheme of things, especially when, and which totally explains marrying cousins and things like that, and, uh, and, and, and the death rate, you know, death and birth, and that, I mean, I get that. It's just, it's a thing. So, yeah. So, uh, again, maybe that's a perspective, uh, but from the wife's perspective here, it doesn't really seem like they're doing this out of any respect or trying to fulfill their husband's desires. Oh, no. I mean, one of them sells, sells him for the night for some mandrakes, right? So, He's not mouth. complaining. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't hear Jacob complain. Um, yeah, they, go, okay, so now, okay, here's the thing. We hear about Leah and Rachel, but there's four women involved in this. We don't hear the other two story, which, by the way, you talk about lack of agency. They were given because they were servants. Um, so there's, you know, we, we, we say poor Leah and Rachel. Well, <laughs> what about, you know, Zilpah? <laughs> you know, and I mean, what about the other two wives? Um, Yeah. 
She's basically, well, and it, she's basically, the, those servants are surrogates. Now, before we get too judgy, uh, we, do we still do that? It's more antiseptic now. Uh, no, no, and then there's that. Well, but there really wasn't another way to do it at the time, right? Uh, that, that's, if you're going to do it, that, this whole idea of surrogacy, that's a, that's a thing. By the way, is it, and we're not going to have this discussion, but uh, in all the commentaries this comes up, and that is the question of whether or not all of the things we try to do to have children is taking matters into our own hands. That idea of, of, of surrogacy. I mean, I, I, I know a person who was a surrogate mom, took a baby to term and handed it back over. And I was just like, I, 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 she saw it as a blessing to this family. And I was like, that's great. You can do that. But just, I, I struggled with it. I was just, I, I don't know. I don't know what I think about it. Uh, let's talk about mandrakes. <laughs> okay. So, Here's the deal. Mandrakes were thought at the time to be a type of aphrodisiac and also to make you more virile, okay? So the I, so what do you think's going on here? Reuben went and found mandrakes and brought them to Leah, okay? Which would mean that Leah was going to be able to use them, right? But Rachel asked for them. And Leah makes this deal. And it's like, okay, I'll give you the mandrakes. I get to have Jacob tonight. Now, notice the conversation here. Um, you know, she, she said, by the way, do you, do you see some bitterness in this? What? You got you to gotta take away my husband and my mandrakes? Really? Um, so basically they make this deal, and it's a bargain that she takes advantage of. Notice the similarities to the Esau-Jacob bargaining. Right now, the the fascinating thing about this is the irony uh, is uh, when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, "You got to come in to me, for I hired you with my son's mandrakes." <laughs> How romantic, right? Uh, that's another. Might that be another indication of the dysfunction that this family is experiencing? And it also maybe speaks to the intimacy with which Jacob and um, and, and and Leah had. Or lack thereof. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of dysfunction going on here. One thing we really haven't mentioned, we talked, you know, you mentioned the, the verse in Leviticus about being married to two sisters. How about just uh, polygamy? Mm -hmm. That automatically seems to me would be. It's never, it's never given God's imprimatur, it's never given his seal. Um, one wife is, and one husband has been the standard par excellence. Anytime there's more than one, there's always problems. Always, always, always. Okay? Um, and that, yet another example of things that are in the Bible that people go, oh, but look at that. You have all these, you know, and it's like, yes. And did you notice? It goes horribly every time. And they're like, well, what about Solomon? He had those wives. Yes! And it went horribly. I mean, it, it cost the kingdom eventually, you know, uh, and, and <laughs> to a degree, his, his own, you know, spirit. So, so here's the thing. This happens, Leah said, uh, and, and God listened to Leah. 
So this is another one of those examples where God had mercy on Leah because obviously Leah was, was grieved, even after all these kids that she's had at this point, which is, man, we just so keep doing this. that she named him um, Ishkar, it's, just, it's crazy to me. Um, that God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband, and I'm like, no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But, but but these are lies we tell ourselves, right? Sure. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, so, it's, uh, and we've kind of touched on this, but, you know, with Leah, with Rachel being the favorite, and then, of course, you know, Joseph coming out of that union and Joseph being this devout man of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't know. Right. Yeah. I want to touch back on the names of some of the kids. Mm-hmm. It also says that the root is also the root for many men are potted. And we note that we wrote divination in front of We're going to come to divination here in a minute. So let's hang on to that. Um, so um, notice we get the random daughter. Okay. Uh, there's a reason for that. Dinah's going to become part of the narrative later. It's going to be all bad. Okay, but I, and, it, and a lot of commentators talk about the fact that, well, this just seems that we've got this random addition of this sister into all of this, but there's a reason for that because it's going to feed us into the rest of the narrative. Um, God remembered them both. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God's taken away my reproach, and she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Um, so here's the thing. Joseph is going to be kind of this middle of the chiasm. Remember, we've got all these chiastic structures, and that this is where the story turns, and now we're on our way out, okay? So on our way out, a lot of things happen, okay? Um, so as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I can go to my own home country, give me my wives, my children for whom I've served you, that I may go, for you know the service I've given you. But Laban said to him, if I've found favor in your sight, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I'll get it. Why was Laban being blessed because of Jacob? Why is, but why? I mean, isn't that pretty much what the promise has been all along? I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. So interesting that through divination, which is basically witchcraft, um, and here's what's yet another one of those kind of strange mercies. Um, through divination, he learned this. Who, divination is always considered not the right way to do it, okay? But what spiritual being communicated this to him, we don't know, okay? Later on, though, he is going to say specifically, your God told me, okay? And that's very specific who's doing the communicating at that point. But um, if some other Elohim came in and communicated this to him in some way. We know that's not typically the way that that's supposed to happen. Um, and, and by the way, once again, prescription, description. You can talk about the witch of Endor and, uh, and, and, and uh, Saul. Same thing. Yeah, Samuel came back and, and read, you know, Saul, the, the riot act. But that's, and, and by the way, told him, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be telling you this. This is all wrong. But since we're here, 
I'm going to go ahead and tell you what's going on. So once again, it's that descriptive, prescriptive thing. So here he says, name your wages. Okay, this is this weird back and forth thing. Here's what you need to know. Basically, they made a deal. Laban said, you get the speckled and the striped. Uh, that way we'll know the difference between the two. But then he then took all the speckled and the striped and took off with them, right? And so Jacob, taking matters into his own hands, decides, hey, I'm going to use this, you know, shepherding trick where we have them look at striped bark and all this kind of stuff. And they're going to... And, and basically, that had nothing to do with it. Basically, and in a dream, um, by the way, not divination, but basically it's communicated to Jacob, yeah, I just, I just blessed you, okay? Just understand, I blessed you, okay? Um, and so we get this back and forth thing that goes on and on and on. Let's get to the end of it, though. Um, okay. Now, Jacob, and we're in a 31. So, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob's taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has also gained his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor. Then the Lord, okay, then God gets active in this whole situation. He's been active all along, but at this point, he's like, it's time for you to go. It's, uh, I, we've done what we need to do here. It's time for you to get out. Um, there's a lot of reasons why he needed to get out. One of probably the most important is at this point, we already know Rachel is tied enough to the gods of her father that, and, and, and divination and all the other kinds of things that it's probably seeping into the family at this point. It is going to be essential for them to get out. And that is what God is communicating to Jacob. We're going to move you on, right? So they're moving away. Is a reassertion of God's control, which is really what the rest of this is about. Um, and then we have this weird thing um, where they explain all this. Laban, Laban keeps changing the rules, and God kept blessing and cursing, right? I mean, he just... And, and finally, God communicates to him, Hey, you just need to let him go and not say anything. That's what's going to work for you. Which, by the way, is a mercy. Because up to this point, he's blessing Laban. But if he does harm to Jacob, it's going to be harm on, on Laban. I mean, that's, that's what's going to happen. So in many ways, it's a mercy for Laban that it gets communicated to him in that way. Not just a mercy for Jacob, but it's a mercy for Laban as well. Um, and then there's, by the way, that's the covenant. The covenant keeps coming back. The covenant is what this is about. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those that curse you. I'm going to make a family out of you. I'm going to make, I'm going to bless the whole world through you and through your descendants. And this is part of that, okay? So they, they set up this pillar. We've talked about pillars before as an agreement, sometimes between you and a God, sometimes between you and somebody else. Um, now, this is where it gets this interesting thing about the, uh, about these, uh, these, these idols that we're talking about here. Um, so, the household gods. What this is, the term there is a teraphim. Uh, a teraphim was a little idol, right? And it was, a, it was a household idol, and it was something that you kept. And by the way, there was obviously polytheism. You had all these different gods. That, and by the way, Laban, mix and match, right? I mean, he, he, he is, he's talking about the God of Abraham at one point, and then he's talking about is the God of Nahor at another. I mean, we, we got all sorts of gods, okay? It's, and so the God of Abraham is one of many Elohims as far as Laban is concerned, right? So um, Rachel thinks it's important enough. By the way, there's some, interesting, um, there's some interesting controversy over what exactly that means. There are some, and it's been kind of debunked, but it's an interesting theory that Rachel, whoever possesses the household gods, uh, is the heir. 
basically has all the inheritance rights. And so the idea was that Rachel was trying to preserve these inheritance rights from Laban. Uh, but that's been, per, for the most part, most scholars say that that's just not the case. Uh, and it's just kind of a, a, an old-fashioned case of, nope, she's still at attached to the gods. She still, ha and by the way, is going to have to give them up at some point. And that is eventually going to happen. Um, there's also some, some things going on with the, uh, the authors here. The fact that they were stolen, and the fact that she's sitting on them, and the fact that she's sitting on them while she's in the way of women, this is this idea that it's in, unclean all the way down. Because so the, the whole idea of a, woman, of, a, of a woman menstruating is considered unclean from a purity perspective. And so the idea was that these are unclean. They're unclean for you to have them, and just your possession of them even exemplifies the fact that they're unclean. The way you hid them is unclean. So all of those kinds of things are, are the, the, the biblical author here is, is giving us an insight into what those things are. Um, uh, well, I know, I know, right? Uh, by the way, Jacob's still trying to do it his way. Uh, Rachel trying to do it her way. Laban trying to do it his way. Everybody trying to do it their own way, right? Is there a way we can go back to Leah and Rachel's response to Jacob's dream? At the end, okay? I'm going to push through, otherwise we're not going to get finished. So, so here's the thing. Uh, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him, pursued him for seven days, followed close after him into the hill country. God came to Laban and said, don't say anything to Jacob, good or bad. So God intervenes again. Um, and now we get this, this conversation uh, between the two. Um, and we get, you know, Rachel hiding things, using deception. So she and Jacob two peas in a pod, you know, in, in, in a sense. So once again, the, the use of deception over and over and over by everybody in the family, Laban, Jacob, Rachel, it's just, it's a constant thing here. Um, okay, so this is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, then Jacob became angry and berated Laban, and Jacob said to Laban, what's my offense, what's my sin that you have hotly pursued me? So in the Hebrew, there's some interesting poetry, as, as with all things. It's always lost on us, the poetry that's going on here. And the use of the term ganab, which means to steal, um, it is used here repeatedly. It's used at eight different times in this text. And by the way, ganab is the same text or is the same verb or, or word that is used in the Ten Commandments later on in Exodus when it says you shall not ganab, you shall not steal. Jacob is accused of stealing Laban's heart by secretly leaving. Jacob is accused of stealing his daughters. Jacob is accused of stealing secretly away without the party in the farewell. By the way, did you catch that? I was going to send you out with tambourines. and what? Probably not. Okay. Um, and then finally, Jacob stole Laban's gods. So it's theft, theft, don't steal, 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 steal. It happens all the way through there, and the biblical author is talking about that. Um, like this painting. There's all sorts of very interesting paintings with regard to, to Laban and, uh, and Jacob. This particular one, you've got Rachel weeping. You've got one of the sons there in the background. You've got a younger Jacob who is, uh, is more open. Okay? The idea, you know, it's one of the things about this painting is that uh, notice Laban is covered, but Jacob is more kind of... Um, open in his dress and everything else, and that's probably Leah over here on the other side. 
Um, so Jacob came to Laban with nothing. Notice how he's leaving. He's leaving with children. He's leaving with riches. He's leaving with flocks. Once again, I'll bless those, you know, bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you. Laban, interestingly enough, in the Passover Haggadah is uh, compared to Pharaoh. And that's where I just, I found this fascinating. Um, there was a, a study uh, that I read from somebody that said, uh, why do we do that? So at the beginning of the Haggadah, it's basically the Passover rite uh, that's written for Jewish families. The night you do a Passover, it's the things you read. You know, what are, why are we doing these things? That kind of thing. At the very beginning of it, it compares Laban to Pharaoh. And it's like, that's harsh. Like, really? Is he really as bad as Pharaoh? Um, and so it, it kind of sent me digging, and it's like, why? Why is that considered the case? And that is because it goes back to that phrase I shared with you guys to begin with when it said that Jacob told him everything. If Jacob told Laban everything, Laban took advantage of that. That could be why Laban was more than willing to trick Jacob again because he could hold it over him. He could say, yeah, you know, yeah, okay, this is tough for you. Kind of like for your brother, right? Oh, you were deceived? Oh, kind of like your brother and your father, right? He had that over him. Another interesting thing, if he had not left Laban, what would have happened to the family? What would they have been? Who would they have been? They would have never been Israel, right? Very similar to what happens with Pharaoh in Egypt, right? Once again, uh, whenever the Israelites go into Egypt, they go in with nothing, right? Uh, in fact, through Joseph, they go in as a slave. They go in as a, uh, as a, as a slave into a household and eventually to prison. Um, and then comes out as a prince, right? A prince of Egypt. Uh, and when the Exodus finally does happen, they go out with all of Egypt's stuff, right? So once it, one of those themes, it's fractally true. It's true all the way down. We see these themes over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, whenever we were going over this, uh, you know, while reading the scripture, part of me was wondering, what if Jacob's playing the long con in, in this? Mm -hmm. And in some ways, is, is that faith? Right? Uh, I mean, knowing I'm, knowing I'm going to take things into my own hands, but also knowing God made this promise. And it seems to be keeping up with the promises. So I'm just going to, I'm going to keep walking and doing my thing. And I think that's a really interesting question in light of what happens next week, which we'll, I'm not going to get there yet, but, but. Right. Oh, he did. He, he, there is something about Jacob that he wanted. And I think we're going to get to that. By the way, was Jacob a hard worker? Obviously. I mean, was Jacob willing to, to grind it out? Jacob's a grinder. I, I like that. I mean, they, he just, you know, anybody that's willing to put in an extra seven years and then an extra seven years and a, an extra, I mean. And he didn't do that when he was home. No. He was up in the tent. 
Yes, very different when he was at home. Yeah. So God had mercy on Laban by protecting him from acting rashly, and God protected Rachel and Jacob from their rash behavior as well. Um, to me, this goes back to God's mercy on the, the just and the unjust. God's mercy on our broken attempts at sometimes uh, working with him and sometimes working it against him, you know. Um, the fact that uh, he, none of this depended on Jacob's, you know, character. There had to be some willingness there, but I mean, at any point in time, God could have hit the eject button and said, this is not working. Oh my gosh, you guys are a mess, right? You're lying and you're cheating and you're, oh, oh, you know, but he doesn't. Um, and that's why that's comforting to me. Um, when I think about the times when I look back, and you sometimes only do this with the hindsight of looking back, um, and I see, man, I was a hot mess then, and God was still working in my life and got me to this place. God have mercy, you know, pra praise be to God, because if it depended on me, I'd still be in a really messy situation, right? I'd still be in a place where I wasn't supposed to be, but God had mercy on me anyway. Um, and that's, that's what this story is in a lot of ways. Um, I want to close with this just, just because I'm the teacher and I can. So um, I don't know if you guys know who Rich Mullins is. Some of you older folks in the room will know who Rich Mullins is. Rich Mullins was a uh, fantastic uh, Christian musician and artist uh, who uh, he wrote, uh, Sing Your Praise to the Lord, Awesome God, the stuff that is actually not my favorite, um, the stuff that is my favorite is the stuff you're not going to hear on the radio. Um, but Rich Mullins uh, has a song called Jacob and Two Women, and it's off of his album, The World is Best as I Can Remember It. And the lyrics are painful. But uh, there's an interview, right? and by the way, Rich died back in 1995, I believe, in a car wreck. And, um, and he was an interesting cat. Um, he um, basically all the money he ever made went back to his church and his elder board uh, back home, and they paid him, and the rule was he was to be paid the average working man's salary. So that's how rich, like, like that's how he lived. He lived off of that. In the last few years of his life, he uh, basically left music and went and lived on an Indian reservation to, to teach music. Uh, so anyway, he's one of my heroes. But there's this interesting conversation that he had uh, where his song about Jacob and two women came up. And, he, and um, so he's being interviewed, and this is what Rich said when they were asking him what he reads. And he says, well, what I write certainly isn't as good as what I read. The thing I find attractive in people is I like to read, they're just brave enough to say what they really think. I think we all get hung up in saying something that's unique, but we may miss saying something clearly or accurately. It's like C.S. Lewis said, the idea is not how unique your idea is or how unique your expression is. The idea is to take what's common and freeze it in a moment. That's kind of what I relate to in writing of other people. My goal, the thing I respond to in writing, and the thing that I would like to accomplish would be to say things exactly as they are, to give the most accurate description possible. So many people are distressed by the song, Jacob and Two Women, and I respond, then the Bible must be very distressing to you. And it is. It's a very distressing song and story, right? I think that we live in a real situation, an answer-oriented world, and the thing that I'm discovering from reading the Bible is it's not always what they taught us in Sunday school. For instance, I was taught that Esther was a queen, but reading the account myself, I've learned that Esther was the head harem girl. Our attempt is to make Esther into a nice woman, and he means nice woman in the modern sense of the world, and that's just not the case. 
not a concert has gone by when somebody hasn't come up after Jacob and two women and said, man, I don't get that song. And I don't get it either, except that a man married two women and had his hands full. And I do think it's very lovely that the only child of his 12 sons that Jacob named was Benjamin. So that was that whole idea of who's being named. Benjamin's the only one that Jacob named. Um, Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin, uh, only her second child. So here she is dying after giving birth, and she names him Benomi, which means son of my sorrows. But Jacob says, I won't call him that. I'll call him Benjamin, which means son of my strength, as if to say to Rachel, your beauty is my strength. You're not just a beautiful woman. You are my strength. So I want to close today um, by listening to Jacob and two women um, and let that be your meditation for the week. So, uh, um, and, and if you're brave, you should go listen to some more Rich Mullins. So what happens next? Chapter 32. He leaves. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Manahem. So the story in Padanaram begins and ends with angels of God. 
It's the only two places in the entire Old Testament where the term angels of God is used. Before he goes and on his way back. And I think it's a perfect bookend to God's providence. No matter how dysfunctional we are in the midst of all of our brokenness, he's still there. Blessings, y'all. Have a great week. We'll pick up. And next week, uh, we'll wrestle with God, which gets even weirder. So.